When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. If this is your first time to The Art of Charm, Fan Mail Friday is a great sample of how we operate at AOC, but by no means a full helping of all our show has to offer. Listener interaction is one of my favorite parts of the show, and without you, we would have no show to speak of. But our typical content is much more in-depth with well-known top performers in their field. We work to unpack their methods, their theories, and their hard-earned insights. These are people you either know or should know, and we use the longer format to help you understand what processes or steps they used which helped them become successful in the first place. Then, we distill those concepts and help you apply them to your life. For a great place to start, check out some of our more popular episodes at theartofcharm.com, where you can find the best of, as well as our fundamentals toolbox, which includes topics such as reading body language and charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. We'll send all that to your inbox if you text CHARMED, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444 in the States or anywhere else. Just go to theartofcharm.com or you can even grab the iPhone app at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone. Oh, before I forget the value episodes, these are older episodes that people just loved. We took them out of the feed because of uh, reasons on RSS feed restrictions, but it's episode 103, 104, and 105, and they will be in the early part of the feed, of course, and on the toolbox page at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox or in the iPhone app as well. All right, let's cut to it. Hi, Jordan. I'm a new businessman, and I've caught myself being intimidated many times by other and more experienced business people. This sometimes causes me to back down and give in, which is not the best thing that can happen, especially in business. I have a current client who is a very aggressive entrepreneur who always seems to win at everything. We've had a fallout over the phone and email, and we've decided to part ways. Honestly, in my most unbiased opinion, the fault was at his company with a foolish employee of his. I'm not one to be shy of admitting my mistakes. I know I'm going to see him in person again soon because we have mutual friends, and I'm wondering... How will I stand up against his intimidation techniques? He's a short, bald man who has much success, but in my mind, I understand that he is only a man. I'm not prepared to have him show me up in front of my friends and my wife. Not going to be intimidated, Jacques. Yeah, this is interesting because he's only a man, correct? And always bear in mind, power is always contextual. So, you know, boss, client, adult, child, 
if you're seeing him with your wife and you're not in a work context, the only power he probably has is what you give him. Even if he's rich, you can set the context. I'm around people with loads of cash all the time, and I just simply play a different role. I might be the guy they wish they were because of personality, or and I'm not trying to flatter myself here. I mean, a lot of these, I'm talking about a lot of Silicon Valley engineer types and things like that. Or if I'm at the center of attention at some point at an event or something like that, they might have trouble purchasing that no matter how much money they have. And if they're insecure about that, they might try to purchase that value. So if he tries to show you up in front of your wife, he's probably just going to look like an ass. So don't worry there. And also the Ben Franklin technique, never underestimate this. Ask him for advice, especially in front of others, and he will freaking love you. Also, he won't be able to show you up in front of those people because if he tries, he will look like a giant prick for doing so after you've asked him for his advice in front of others. So basically, you can do this and you can put him right into checkmate. So if you're in a conversation with a group of people, you can make him look and feel good by asking him for a bit of advice. And if he oversteps that boundary, everyone will be so disgusted with him. So it's a great way to keep guys like that in check. I see this all the time, and this works like magic. Enjoy the party, Jack. All right, next question. Hey, Jordan. What are your thoughts about masculinity in the workplace? As a male, I often feel unheard and pushed around, or maybe even not respected, like no urgency with your request, overlooked with promotions, etc. I'm constantly dealing with unreasonable expectations and requests from bosses, clients, internal teams, etc. It often feels emasculating when you have to stay professional and cordial and unable to fully express yourself, or maybe even feeling like you're physically stronger, but have to repress those inner animalistic instincts and just take it. Also, these thoughts came after I watched Nocturnal Animals and saw this theme of a weak man. Thanks. Love the podcast. Kyle. Hey, Kyle. I'm not familiar with that show, Nocturnal Animals. And I had to read this three times because I thought maybe you meant female. Man, this is everyone's issue in the workplace, male or female. But it sounds like your masculinity, your personality, whatever, is working against you. Jason, I know you had some thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're dealing with masculinity in terms of, like, overlooked promotions and people not respecting you and things like that. And when you're in the workplace, the masculine side doesn't really play into it because that's not the venue to be masculine if you're trying to get along with people and get your job done and be professional and cordial like you like you say. And you want to fully express yourself, but if you're fully expressing yourself masculinely, it's a weird dichotomy that you're having a problem with that I see here. What you need to be is more social and not masculine. I mean, if these people are uh, like ahead of you, in the corporate structure, you don't want to like overpower them with your masculinity in, in, in my view, because all it's going to do is intimidate them. And then they're going to use their power that they have over you to keep you down. Right. Yeah. Workplaces are generally cooperative. So you got to be able to work in that environment. It's not about clashing. And so the cooperation and the collaborative skills, that's got to be what's worked on. You don't have to necessarily, unless I'm reading this wrong, you don't necessarily have to be able to express yourself as a man in the workplace, depending on the workplace, of course. But in most cooperative workplaces, that's not going to serve you that well. It's got to be more collaborative. Yeah. And he, he mentions this theme of a weak man. And I think that, you know, maybe he's just not seeing the, the workplace, right? If he's new to the workplace and this, like, this is his first kind of run in with how businesses work. It's like, you don't want to express yourself masculinely if you're just trying to figure out how to get widget A shipped to Taiwan, you know, or something like that. It's like really not the kind of the best place to have that kind of mentality. Yeah. And I also think that some early workplaces, maybe if you work someplace and you switch into a more corporate environment, you know, from, say, 
I don't know. I'm going to throw this out there because it's I'm stereotyping, but like a fire department or a CrossFit gym, you know, box like that. There might be a more masculine vibe, but if you're ch- changing from that to an Apple Store, you're going to have to shift along with the culture, and it's no longer going to be important for you to be able to assert yourself as a man. I understand that there's a lot of talk on the internet about, no, you got to be able to do that, but it's it's just not the case. That's uh, that's some armchair quarterback stuff there. But hopefully this helps, Kyle. I hope we got your question correct here, because it definitely is not happening because you're a man. That much is certain. Everybody's got this problem in the workplace at some, at some level for various reasons. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. All right, question three. Hi, Jordan. Longtime listener and summer 16 boot camper here. I wanted to ask how to make decisions when both options are great. What if you're unsure of what your gut tells you? And finally, what is the best way to proceed without regret? A few recent examples for me have been choosing between two great fraternities and choosing between two types of design to study and major in college. I often get wrapped up in asking questions like, what's best for me now? What's best for me in the future? What do I enjoy more? What has a better environment? Who do I want to surround myself with? What would I learn more from? And how much should I push my comfort zone? Appreciate the advice, and as always, love the show. Best, Marco. Hey, Marco. Yeah, the decision-making process here is always a tricky setup because there's a lot of cognitive biases and things like that. How to make a decision when both options are great. And you're unsure of what your gut tells you? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, there's simple ways to do things like flip a coin up in the air, and before you look at whatever side flips up, what do you hope it says? That's kind of a way of listening to your gut in a more in a more nuanced way because there's often one answer that you want more than the other. Uh, but definitely looking at when both options are great, I look at things like, all right, which one of these is going to give me certain skills to move on to the next area of my life? Which one is going to be uh, more exciting? There's a lot of little factors there that I can't decide for you. You often get wrapped up in asking questions like, what's best for you now and in the future? Always look at whatever's going to add skills that you can stack with skills you already have or force you to build skills that you might not otherwise build. So are you going to get a sales skill set from this particular job? That's always going to serve you. Are they going to pay for some education? Is it going to be a project where you can parlay that experience into something else in the future? Or if you're not sure, then you can always just choose whichever one you want. And you might always have a little bit of regret because the grass is always greener, but you should really pay attention to your emotions with this stuff because our emotions, it's not just something to keep our brain quiet. It's not just a whiny part of our psyche. Often our emotions are our subconscious brain trying to communicate with us in an abstract way, which is the only way that part of our brain can communicate with us at all. And you've heard this brain science on the show before. A lot of times emotions are the way that our brain says, no, 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 I want you to do this for this reason. And when you're looking at jobs and opportunities, it's generally not because one's easier or one's just going to be more fun, although those are valid reasons to maybe take a position. You're always going to have this balance here. So be sure to listen to your body, listen to your emotions, try the coin flip, the coin toss trick, and definitely making decisions at different times in your life based on your level of responsibility is also important. For right now, if you're young enough, you've only got responsibility to yourself. Focus on what's going to be the most fun and the most interesting and give you the most skills. Once you get married, you got to take your partner into consideration, and you might even be thinking about your current job or your, the next decision you have to make as, well, this will lead to that, and that will lead to this other thing, which will be better for me raising a family or better for me to be a single guy, which I plan to be for the next five or 10 years, or better for me to move closer to my wife's family when we have kids. Those are things you can start to think of. 
start to structure jobs and career paths based on the level of responsibility that you think you're going to have in the future. And you can get this wrong because you can always switch and you can always change the decision that you make. If you're 25 now, you might not be thinking about having kids or you might say, I'll do that when I'm 50. And it might happen when you're 29 and you can always change course. So don't worry. There's nothing you're going to do here that's going to be an irrevocable decision. There's always going to be a way to change the path, especially if you're constantly building and stacking skills. So use the emotions, listen to the emotions, use the coin flip trick, and make sure that you're outlining a career path that doesn't have to be 100% accurate based on the level of responsibility that you want and that you have now, and you'll end up with much better decisions than just using one or two factors. Jason, do you have anything you want to add to this? Yeah, I want to throw in that we are really crap as humans at predicting what the future is going to hold for us. And I noticed that you're in college right now. You know, you're talking about what fraternity to go to and what type of design to study and major in. Well, you know, if you're trying to plan out the next 30 years of your life, you can have like, you know, major goal points. But if you try and go down to the nitty gritty with all of the different questions that you have, you're generally going to be wrong on a lot of them. So Uh, You know, I'm thinking maybe narrow focus on like, you know, maybe the next two, three years or what's important to you right now. And as Jordan said, go with your gut, make a make a coin toss. And I've used that technique all the time. And it really does work because then you're you know, if you hit tails and you're like, oh, man, I really wish I'd gotten heads. Well, then you you can you can cheat and go with the the heads answer in this, you know, asking about what it's going to be like for you in the future really kind of just know that humans, all the brain science is showing us that we're really bad at figuring out what the future is going to be like for us. So maybe like step it back and just really kind of look at the near term goals that you're looking for and where you want to be and what is going to give you the most fun, especially if you're in college, you know? Yeah, this is an interesting point. I I think uh, you're really correct on this. What we've learned on the show is that we're terrible at predicting our futures anyways. So it doesn't matter if you choose a path and you think, oh no, my level of responsibility is different. Like I mentioned, you might think I'm going to have kids when I'm 40 or 50. You might end up with kids at 29. Don't worry about making sure that your plan is accurate. Just look at the skills you can build based on what your goals currently are. You can't predict the future. And there's really no advantage to doing that. A lot of the things that have happened to me, speaking of this, a lot of things that happened to me such as getting laid off at my job on Wall Street, people were crying in the office. And I was like, oh God, what am I gonna do? I can't get another job, the economy's tanked. That's why we started this company. That was the impetus for this. So sometimes you just have to make lemonade and sometimes that lemonade is exactly what the doctor ordered and you didn't wanna be a lawyer anyway, <clears throat> right? So so don't worry too much about this. And absolutely, and you know, I started my college career as a photographer. At this point in my life, I thought I was gonna be like, you know, the next Herb Ritz out there taking Taking, you know, pictures of beautiful women on the beach in black and white. And that didn't work out. But what I what I focused on throughout my career are skills that I was the most interested in at that point in my life that I could, you know, get to the best of that I could be. So I became the best photographer that I could be. Turns out I wasn't that great of a photographer. So I went into computers <laughs> and I did computers for 20 years. And, you know, it turns out when you hit 40 years old, you're not that good at computers anymore. So now I talk on the radio with you, Jordan. And, you know, at some point I'm, I'm gonna, probably going to find out that I'm not that good at that either. But all of these <laughs> skills like like build on each other and you have fun along the way. So, you know, like really look at what you're most interested in now and that will get you to the next step. And like we had, you know, talked about with Scott Adams, that's skill stacking. And if you're going into things that you don't enjoy, then you're never going to get anywhere. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, think about this. If we're skill stacking and you go, colleges make you do this. Well, I got to take this accounting class because I need that to get into business school. That's an artificial constraint. But if you need that and then you go into business school and you've got to use those stupid statistics that you hated and then you got to take that Excel stuff and you're doing all that spreadsheet stuff that you hate, when exactly are you going to get to do what you want? In 20, 30 years? That's not, that's not the way to do this. If you focus on the things that you actually enjoy and you stack those skills, chances are you're going to end up with a hybrid product of things that you enjoy doing. If you do a bunch of stuff that you hate, hoping that at some point you've quote-unquote paid your dues, then you're going to end up probably using a lot of skills that you hate doing, and you're going to end up in a field that requires all of those all the time. And that's not going to work out for most of us. Yeah, definitely. And one other, one last little pro tip so we can get to the next question. When I took photography in college, I knew I wanted to be a photographer. I took the entire photography curriculum twice, and I took one English class and then went on to photography in the real world. I found out what I wanted to know. I learned it, and then I left. I didn't deal with – I didn't want to go take chemistry and biology just so I could get a degree. You know, that that's the difference between, I think, your path and my path, Jordan, is like yeah. we, we definitely – differed in that you went for the full boat and i'm just like i really want to be a photographer so i'm going to go learn photography and then just get the hell out of the institution and go do it in the real world yeah i mean when i went to college going and taking classes based on skills you actually wanted to learn was completely alien nobody was doing that if you took classes based on things you enjoyed you were some kind of sucker who had no future (laughs) which is ridiculous right i mean that college should be all about all about exploring those things not taking dumb prereqs so you can check off boxes and then taking other classes that you hate so you can have a degree that says economics instead of psychology or sociology i mean that was just such a i just did it all backwards so don't make the same mistake and it also changes because my brother took Japanese and music, and now he's a physicist. So, you know, you never know how it's going to work out. You never know. All right. (laughs) Next up. Hey, guys, I wonder if you can help me with overcoming a physical insecurity about something I can do nothing about. I have a congenital eye condition that causes my eyes to constantly move to try to find the still focus point that most people's eyes come to automatically. It's called nystagmus, but long story short, my eyes shake, and more importantly, they don't work together. So if I make eye contact with someone, it's generally with one or the other eye, not both eyes. I've been told there are no procedures or exercises I can do to fix this. So the problem is, I feel that making great eye contact is something I've gotten better at since beginning to work on the art of charm related skills in my life. But it is brought to the surface an insecurity about what the person receiving the eye contact is thinking. People have told me they weren't sure which eye to look at. One guy at a party decided to name me Crazy Eyes. In that situation, I just owned that name and went with it, and I ended up looking self-assured. However, it's the worst when I'm, say, approaching at a bar or meeting a Tinder date. I'm thinking, what are they thinking? And that insecurity is probably coming through loud and clear in my body language. What can I do to overcome being hung up on this thing that I can't change anyway, despite it being connected to something so basically important? Eye contact. Sincerely, Crazy eyes. Wow, crazy eyes. Yeah, this is, I can't speak from personal experience here, but I can speak from personal experience on being insecure about stuff that most people aren't noticing. 
I would say run with the jokes, and in fact, you can even start the process. In other words, if you meet your Tinder date or someone you're talking to that's new, and you sense they're looking at the other eye and then back again, you can say something like, pro tip, focus on the right eye. These things have a mind of their own, and it seems like my left eye might be up to no good right now, or something along those lines. That's just what's coming to the top of my head. And that makes it okay to discuss what's going on there, and then you can talk about it, get it out in the open, and everyone can kind of move past it, because if it's just like, wait, did his other eye move? Wait, hold on. Do I wait? Do I look at that eye or the other eye? And then it's like, wait, what? What is that? And then they go, crap. I haven't been listening to what he's been saying because I looked at the eye. Chances are, one, nobody's going down that train of thought. But even if they are, you can bring it out, and they go, yeah. Did your left eye just move independently? And you're like, yeah, uh, I have multi-talented eyes, I, or I literally have a wandering eye, or something just ridiculous like that. And you can get it out in the open, and you can move past it, and you can say, yeah, you know, my this eye just doesn't find the natural focus. And then they go, oh, okay, I guess I've never seen that. It, you know, it's when you're not sure what they think that you get stuck in a rut worrying about how they're perceiving you, and then you can't move past it, which means then you're not present in the conversation, and everything else goes downhill from there. So this technique works for a lot Lots of people with overt physical issues like a prosthetic leg, prosthetic arm, a burn, a birthmark on their face or something like that, etc. So keep in touch and let me know how this goes. But I think if you shine the light on this first and you don't dwell on it, you don't want to start talking about it for the next 20 minutes. But if you open that door and you do it in a humorous way that shows you're secure with it and then people can get their one or two questions out of the way if they even have it or if they even want to, if they even care, then you can just move past it and everyone will forget about it pretty much right away. And that's what's uh, we've done that at AOC Bootcamp for clients that come in that have stuff like, like I said, prosthetic leg burn or birthmark. We come up with a really quick, easy thing like that that they can start to do, and it just takes all of the it just takes all of the wind out of it. It takes the all the importance away from that particular issue, and you can get unstuck from it. All right, question five. Good afternoon, Jordan and the crew. I had to jump in and help in the situation with Can't Take Criticism from Fan Mail Friday 98 and their situation with the project manager. There are some other wrinkles you aren't taking into account that might change the game just a little. CTC, as we'll call him from now on, is working with a project manager, and they are normally control addicts. They have projections for everything, and in most cases, even a bad report or a misworded email might throw their projections off by a week or two, if you believe what they tell you. Generally, PMs are perfectionists and can't get over the fact that the rest of the world doesn't see the way that they do. Please keep this in mind when I say the following. Keep the email replies to a minimum in this situation. This is a perfect time to seek clarity and maybe build up a better relationship at the same time. Send an email apologizing for not understanding the parameters of the project. Request a chance to meet for 5 to 10 minutes to go over the revisions needed for your part in the project. Give three or four dates and times, avoid Mondays and Fridays, to have this discussion. Bring something to write on and be ready to take whatever criticism and adjustment you might have coming to you, even if it isn't deserved. This PM is building up a case to their superiors, often C-suite execs, on why a project is going wrong. If you make a hasty reply or even an awkward one, you will undermine your reputation not only with the PM, but the rest of the company as well. Every email you reply to is ammunition to put in a gun. If that project fails, the gun is pointed somewhere. It's like a twisted game of Russian roulette, except it is someone's career instead of their life. 
It sounds like you work in an email culture, too. So sending replies not only builds up a paper trail if something goes against you, but it gives them more ammunition to work around the problem, meaning they will focus on removing you as an obstacle. The best mantra to repeat to yourself as you have this conversation or receive any critical email in the work world is the Peter Drucker quote. It is not about what I want. It is what the position requires. You are selling a service to this PM. It means you're going to have to put on your customer service hat and have an awkward conversation or two in order to make things better. This will also give you a chance to connect and make sure you are ahead of the curve. You reaching out and having a discussion about the topic will put you in a positive light. You biting your tongue until it bleeds while taking undue criticism actually earns you points. Remember this point. Communication is the responsibility of the listener. The PM said something you didn't understand, so it's your charge to ask again and make sure you get it cleared up for your peace of mind. If you get some pushback by asking, remind the PM that a few minutes to get it right this moment saves time and future on the project. They'll like that. Hopefully this helps and keep your chin up, CTC. I know it's hard, but remember to do your best to keep yourself calm and centered. Two people in the same room is a conflict. Three people in the same room are politics. The same applies for email, too. Thanks for the show, Jordan. I much appreciate the shows as I look longingly at medical plastics under a microscope. Signed, Carlton. This is really good. I, the reason I'm including this and don't just forward it on, I often forward emails on to the sender of the original email if it's really specific, but I love the fact that two people in the room is a discussion, three people in the room, even if it's just email, is political, and that each email is ammo and a gun. This is all really good advice for people working in any corporate culture. Forget about the project manager. Forget about the specific context of the situation. This is all really, really good advice in any email culture. I love this. So thanks so much, Carlton, for looking longingly at medical plastics under a microscope <laughs> and listening to AOC and offering to help with this very specific problem that has really good advice uh, for everyone here. And basically, if you're a little bit lost on the context, the guy was angry at his project manager for all the emails that his he was CCing his boss's boss. And we suspected he was building up a paper trail to aim that gun somewhere, most likely at him. So great advice in this one. If you felt like you were a little lost, rewind and replay this particular bit of info here, because this is something that anybody in a corporate environment should know by heart. And as somebody who has worked with project managers in the past, when I first came into the corporate world and had to deal with project managers, I had no idea what they were doing except like somebody that was trying to keep me on task. But I didn't realize what their position was and who they were responsible for and what would keep them in a job. So I didn't know how to cater to them. If I'd have had this email 25 years ago when I first started working in corporate America – I would probably still be there because I could have worked my way up the ladder because this is amazing advice. Yeah, this is really sharp insight from Carlton. All right, next up. Hey, Jordan, I wanted to get your take on something. I lived in a small island nation called Kirtabas, doing service for a few years. I got really good at the language, also called Kirtabas, and really fell in love with it. Now that I'm back in the States, I don't have any use for it, really. I would love to find a use for it here or a job opportunity of some kind. I know you're interested in languages and wanted to ask you if you knew of any advantages or opportunities there for people who speak unique languages. Thank you, Island Guy. Interesting. So it looks like Kiribati. Yeah, it's, it's pronounced Kiribati. 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 I actually went and YouTubed it just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't look right. I thought that was a typo. That's nope, really strange. Kiribati. All right. Well, anyway, 
congrats on getting really good at that language and being in love with it. Now that you're in the States, you don't have a use for it. There has to be a community of those folks around living in the U.S. Of course, there's also plenty of ways that you can get involved with this. Um, There's social work that involves that community, almost guaranteed. There's going to be translation work that involves that community. That's the low-hanging fruit, of course. There's also going to be companies that do business with the island nation. There's going to be diplomatic stuff that has to do with that island nation. There's going to be UN programs that have to do with that island nation. Uh, I know you were doing service, so you might have some connections there. Or you may have an opportunity to start a business either in the States dealing with that island nation or in that island nation dealing with the West, dealing with the United States, dealing with the English-speaking world. So I can't get very much more detailed on that, but I know you've probably already thought of translation and get went, well, you know, you're not a native speaker of Kitabas. However, the business angle, the social work angle, the UN diplomatic angles, those are all things that people usually don't think to explore. So have a look at that stuff where language skills will really come into play here. Last but not least, you're going to find that knowing any foreign language, even if it's not that useful, is going to look really good on a resume. So worst case scenario, you can probably use the language to do fun stuff like tutor kids there via Skype or give presentations or help people there get into university and colleges or apply for jobs in the United States. There are all kinds of things you can do in service of that community, either here stateside or on the ground having to do with the West and the rest of the world. So I hope that works out. Let me know what you end up finding. There's all kinds of creative stuff out there if you look hard enough. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us at friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF. 111. This is 111. I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. And Jason, are you on Twitter as well? Yes, I'm on Twitter at JPDef. That's J-P-D-E-F. And you can also catch my podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're on the Podcast One app, iTunes, or go to GOG.show to find out more. All right. Also, don't forget about The Art of Charm Challenge. Text CHARMED. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444 in the States or anywhere else. Just go to theartofcharm.com. We'll take you step by step at becoming better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your personal social capital and your charisma. And it's for both guys and gals. And man, there's people there from all over the world. It's really cool. Really, really cool. So check that out. Text CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444 in the States or just go to theartofcharm.com. Oh, and quick shout-outs to, one, Jeff Gordon, a NASCAR driver and an AOC fan. That was pretty cool. I've heard of you. I don't watch a lot of NASCAR, but that was pretty neat. And Dave Schudel, a 58-year-old AOC fan in Austin who suggested that everyone in the AOC family periodically go over the Toolbox episodes to measure their progress and see how far they've come since they started listening to those. Great idea, Dave. The Toolbox episodes are at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox, by the way, if you're looking for those, or they're in the iPhone app. And you can get that at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone. Are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up and I'll shout you out. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week here in L.A. So if you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.